Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you'd like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm on with Casey Cohen. He owns a company called Together CFO. We've actually known each other now for a very long time. Uh, about three and a half years ago was when I first uh, met Casey. We both are here in Los Angeles. And so we've had a chance to see each other's businesses grow over the last few years. And um, really excited to do this interview just to catch up, see how things have gone for him and his business and uh, vice versa, I think. So uh, thanks so much, Casey, for being on the show. Yeah, no, happy to be on. And, you know, Glad to see that you're doing really well. Thank you. You too, man. Um, you too. And, you know, one thing I will say is, you know, I, I think in a, in a lot of aspects, the more visibility that you can give and you don't have to, you know, give it, you can give as much or as little as you want, but the more visibility you can give into sort of like your growth, where you're at now, how you've been able to grow, I think really helps in terms of, uh, you know, helping the audience of, of mainly agency owners and, and service businesses figure out how they can grow and scale. So, for you, what does that look like? Like, where are you guys at right now? I mean, I actually do know where you guys are at revenue-wise, but like, you don't have to share that. Share whatever you feel comfortable with. But like, in terms of scale, where have you guys gotten to so far with your business? So yeah, so we're in multiple seven figures, targeting to hit eight figures very shortly. And when we first met, I just took that transition from being a high-paid corporate employee to start my yeah. own business. So. Yeah. You've seen me grow from pretty much inception to multiple yeah. seven figures. So being there from, from right at the beginning. So yeah, to, to see that growth is pretty extreme. What did that growth look like? Was it an exponential curve or did it happen constant over time? When did it no, start it, to really kick in? It was so many ups and downs along the way to get there. It's yeah. never an exponential line, but we started off as outsourced CFOs. So we were doing everything from bookkeeping controllers and then CFO strategy. The problem yeah. with that was every company's different. So when we spoke initially and you just started Twiz and you were looking to scale and, and get into the metrics and the growth, that's very different than one of our other clients that's looking for planning or budgets or forecasts. So right. to get a standardization around what a CFO agency does was really yeah. difficult. So it ended up, being very difficult for me to scale that past five or six clients because right. they were effectively buying my time. And right. when you're trading money for time, it's very difficult to scale. So we quickly realized that that was very difficult to do. And we had a great success early on with one of our clients where right. we helped him scale from 5 million a year all the way up to 10 million a month in the space wow. of six months. That was pretty epic and that was awesome, that journey. But what that ended up creating was a huge tax problem for him. So his tax bill that year would have been around $20 million. He then put me to work and he's like, you got to fix this tax problem. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm not a tax guy. I'm a CFO. Like we do strategy. We don't do tax planning. He's like, it's tax strategy, CFO strategy. He saw it all as one like big thing. And yeah pretty much bullied me into figuring it out. I was so uncomfortable at that point. I'm like, shit, what am I? Right. How do I do this? So yeah, I get that. 
it was tough, but it was good because in hindsight, if he hadn't pushed me, if I hadn't got out my comfort zone, I wouldn't have then figured it out. And in that first year, we ended up saving him $12 million in taxes. Fantastic. I mean, that is, it's always really fascinating to see, you know, when you're, when your accountants do, do save your money, it's a, it's a great relief. I know that just actually happened to us. We thought we we're going to have to pay back taxes on something and end up we don't have to pay anything on certain back taxes, which we thought we owed, uh, which we don't, which is cool. So that's always a relief and it really helps. I mean, it's really awesome. And I, I will say too, just being able to, could you shed some light into like maybe what industry that company was in? Just cause that's yeah, pretty insane he, growth rate. Is that a SaaS or what was it? Medical industry. He was doing medical data collection. And yeah. then the pivot that we made for him or suggested that he do is buy a lab. So he went from mm. just getting data collected to then the data and then the next vertical along, right. which was to process that data rather than give that profit away to somebody else. And then he got ended up getting more data from his other friends that worked in the industry. And it just, it blew up like beyond yeah. all of our imagination. So let me ask you this, like, this is actually very pertinent, I think, to you, especially as a CFO. That's from what it sounds like, it sounds like it's about a 24x growth rate in like 12 months, right? Roughly. I mean, you're talking $5 million a year to $120 million a year if you're talking $10 million a month, right? So, so if that is what happened, then one thing that I noticed with our agency, when we hit like an inflection point, we hit that like 200K a month in sales, we were spending a lot of money to like fuel that growth. We had a lot of demand, but we were also, our expenses were also increasing. And yeah. like when there was a month, like let's say, uh, a month when sales weren't as hot as the previous month, our expenses would take maybe like 30 to 60 days to slow down. And then finally, so it was really difficult sometimes to be bootstrapped and, and make this work. So for him, it sounds like he was insanely profitable because if you have that much of a tax situation and you have this much in taxes, you're pretty profitable. So how, just so people understand what 24X growth looks like in terms of like profit, you don't have to disclose the company obviously, but like for every dollar they made in revenue, how much were they actually putting in their bank account as they grew that? Like, was it, was it so profitable every single step that they, they never even had a problem with expenses? It was just like an insane amount of profit yeah, all the way up what to- What you're describing is fundamentally the difference between net profit and net free cash flow. And this is yeah. what most businesses, when they scale exponentially, have a huge problem figuring out because cash flow and net profit are two different metrics. So- yep. Thankfully, in this case, he had margins above 50%. So he didn't have to worry about that because we bought the machinery. We'd done some financing. Cash flow was really good. Because net flow? There was a net, net, net margin of, of 50% or is that just your gross? What was that? His gross margin was 50% yeah. above 50%. Okay. But his expenses weren't high because we bought machinery that was just running 24-7, spinning tests yeah. out. So it wasn't as if he needed more and more people like you were describing in, yeah. in the agency because you need to service all of these clients he had machines and then when once we get above 80 percent utilization on a machine 24 7 365 then we would need a second machine and so on and so on but we could right. finance it so we didn't have to spend millions on the machine we could put a couple hundred k down get the machine and pay it off all the time it's being smart with your capital and your capex but also understanding your cash flow on a week to week basis. Yeah. And that's where most business owners that aren't accountants or don't have like a not finger on the pulse on the finances tend to struggle yeah. because like you said, if there's a 30 day or a 60 day cool off period between money coming in and cash going out and sales dropping, there's all these moving parts in a business and yeah. you need to be tracking them all to know when to either double down and accelerate and buy more stuff or right. hold off. And that's really 
where doing weekly cash flow projections and actuals comes into yeah. play. And during COVID, this was like a great example of that, where with the clients that we had this process set up, they knew and they were able to adjust really quickly to yeah. what the new environment with, without COVID was going to look like versus right. the ones that didn't really value it and were like, oh no, we'll figure it out. We'll be all right. And they then quickly changed their minds and said, yeah, we need, we need that. So let me ask you something about uh, how much debt you should have on hand as a bootstrap service business. Um, that's predominantly my audience, mostly marketing agency owners. A lot of them are doing over $60,000 per month in sales. So this is actually a pretty pertinent question for them. How much cash do you recommend business owners have on hand at any point in time related to their, their debt? Like long-term debt, I'm not talking about like short-term, you know, maybe let's say one month you add $50,000 in short-term debt that you're going to pay off very quickly. I'm talking more like long-term debt that carry, carries over to like 60, 90 days plus versus cash in your bank account. What ratio do you think is appropriate for businesses? And the reason I ask this is because I've heard a lot of people say 12 months and I know that's like conventional, but for bootstrap businesses, especially if you're paying like the owners of the company well, it's pretty difficult to have that kind of cash flow on hand. So I'm curious, like from a practical standpoint, A, do you think that that's what it is? And, and if so, why? And, and B, oh, if not, what's the more practical number? We yeah. were just talking about this. I'm part of the quantum mastermind with Sam Evans. And we, we talked about this extensively. And Sam's really conservative. He had 18 months as his figure. I like 12 months personally, just to have enough run rate that I don't really need to think about it. But I, I would think in a bootstrapped environment, you're not going to have the luxury of 12 months. So I'd say six months would be good because right. the environment is changing so fast, right? And you can't compare a bootstrap company to someone like myself or like Sam Evans that's been doing it a while. We've got good reserves, both per personally and within the businesses. But if right. the audience isn't quite there yet, it's just about knowing your cash flow. And it goes back yeah. to what we, we, we talked about in just a second ago is if you know every week you're spending 10 grand or 20 grand, whatever that number is, you factor in ups and downs, a little bit of give here and there, minimum six months. Like yeah. you're, you're very dangerous if you're at three months. It's yeah. even more dangerous if you don't know what the number is. <laughs> I know. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, at what point, so I'm actually curious, at what point did for, for yourself, have you always been able to maintain that 12 months from day one is always 12 months? No, not always. You, you've got to just start out by being really strict about it and right. work your way up. So maybe start at three months, work your way up to six, work your way up to nine and then 12. Don't jeopardize the growth of the business for that just because it yeah. is a buffer, right? So you've got to make some and it comes back to, again, financial IQ. Thankfully, my background is in accounting and finance. So I just had yeah. more of that. And I had more learning on sales and marketing, right? Whereas yeah. a lot of the agency owners will be heavy on sales and marketing, not so heavy on right. finance. But understanding your numbers is critical. And then yeah. using those numbers to make smarter business decisions. That's really the key because right. having 12 months reserves in the bank but not executing on a deal that's going to make you 3x tomorrow is not right. a smart decision. So <laughs> if you know what your numbers are and you know what risks you're taking to get where you want to be, that's yeah. the smart way to look at it. Or at least what I would recommend. Yeah. I'm actually curious about this when it comes to you, because I actually recently just listened to an interview is with uh, Nathan Lacka and he's a pretty big tech podcaster. And he was uh, had this guy on for one of his events. He was doing a, a presentation 
they like raised or, or sold for like a hundred million dollars. Some, some, one of the companies that was talking and they were bootstrapped up until very recently, like last few years. And then they raised money. One of the things he said was that when you're bootstrapped, you're basically just hoping to grow and break even every single year. Like you're continuously to grow, break even, grow, break even. Uh, if you're growing more than like a hundred percent a year, that's the caveat. So I'm curious because it sounds like you've grown pretty quickly, right? Cause I mean, we started roughly around the same time and I've seen the growth. Let's dispel some myths or notions around this. Like as somebody who's grown fast, I don't know what the growth rate of your company has been every year, but it sounds like it's been above 50%, I would imagine. Above 100% year on year. Above 100%. Okay. So you've been able to successfully have 12 months of cash relative to like your long-term debt. You've been able to successfully have that and also grow over 100% a year. Has there ever been like points where you've had to trade off and say like, ah, shoot, I would, I would have been able to grow faster if I reinvested this in the marketing or was that after all your marketing expenses too? You're still able to re- no, put that in the savings. I, I always think that because my background and my comfort zone is not sales and marketing. So yeah, whether, and I'm just figuring that out. So the way we exponentially grew is referrals and word of mouth. And it's very different for us because we are a high ticket item, right? So to work with us, 250K just to set up and then percentages of growth after that. So it's not for everybody. We are ultra, ultra high cost. The value is there, right? So for the- Which is good, which is good. Yeah, so it's more boutique than it is mass market product, which is the biggest difference to most agency owners and most products or services where they have a really wide net. We don't. We're really, really niche and- who we can help and how we can help them. But for those people, it's a no-brainer. Totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah, one thing I want to be clear on, though, when it comes, and this is why it's so important. I want to be clear. When you say 12 months or 18 months, are you talking about 12 months of burn? Like, for instance, if you have, let's say, 100 grand in the bank and you're losing 10 grand a month, then you have 10 months of burn, right? Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? Are you saying that you have 12 months of cash in expenses saved in your bank. Like if your expenses are 150,000, you have 150,000 times 12 in your bank account. Is, is that what you're referring to? Just, I'm referring I don't even know the, the exact number rate. for you, but like as yeah. for, for founders, what is it that's more important? The burn rate. I think that's a, a critical the burn rate. Number. Okay. That makes sense. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the model that changed a lot for us, just going back to, to the client I was talking about was we then pivoted heavily from CFO services to tax strategy because we quickly realized that the CFO services was all about me and that's difficult to scale. I'm only one person and I don't want to trade my time for money. That's a terrible trade. So when we pivoted into tax structures, it allowed me to build a a bigger team around that. That wasn't about me anymore. It was about the team, the expertise, and then the savings that we can provide. Because if I ask a hundred business owners or agency owners, what do you understand by the phrase tax savings? Yeah. We're going to get a hundred same answers, right? Whereas yeah. if we ask them, what do you think CFO services mean? It's right. going to be scattered. So when we made that pivot from CFO services to tax strategy, it, that's what really kicked off our exponential growth. Right. And I'm curious too, what is like the retention that you think people should be aiming for in a service business? I mean, for you, would you say that, you know, if it's anything less than 12 months, it's probably not, unless you have incredible volume, it's probably not worth pursuing. 
as a service. Is that your take or how, how, how would you advise companies? It's so difficult. It just depends on what service you're providing. So if you're a business consultant and you're consulting someone on a six month project, but that's all they need to get the value, then the merit in that. But for us, we look at it annually and we look at, hey, how many clients do we have? What's the retention rate? We want that to be multi-generational. So we yeah. gain a slightly different to the average, but we plant the seed right from the beginning that if you're looking for a short-term fix, go somewhere else because right. we want a relationship with you and your spouse and your kids and your future kids because we're thinking that far out and we are advanced estate planning technically. So it's in line with building an estate and a legacy. But for That's services, really it's so different for everyone in terms of as long as you're still providing value, I think is the key metric. So if you can... Right. Let's just say it's a LinkedIn agency. If you're still showing LinkedIn growth, connection growth, calls booked, all from that medium, then right. you're still adding value to that client, whether it's year one, whether it's year 10. If you add in value, then you're worth your weight in yeah. money, right? Hi, this is Lucas James. Are you struggling to get meetings booked with potential prospects for your agency? I'll tell you what, when I first started, I had the same issue, but I was able to A-B test hundreds of different variations of copy on multiple channels and figured out a secret formula to convert anyone from anywhere into taking a meeting with me. I've mastered this approach and now my agency, Twiz, books meetings on autopilot. Last year, we booked 1,731 meetings, closed 234 accounts, and generated $1.72 million in revenue. I want the same thing for your agency, so I've decided to give away some of my best performing outbound copy scripts for free. That's right, absolutely free. If you want to transform your business for free, go to scale.twiz.io to get your free lead scripts today. That's scale.twiz.io scale s c a l e dot twiz dot i o now back to the show like let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in cash and then you also have a hundred thousand in debt on a credit card or a loan that's past 30 days then obviously you have like a one for one you know i don't know if this is the strict financial definition to be honest but how i look at it is like you have one for one you know cash uh to debt or like debt to asset ratio right what is that ratio do you think that that agency owners should have for the most part and Let's assume that they're growing 50% per year, right? What's a healthy ratio, do you think? So I would look at the, the um, let's just, uh, is it a subscription business? So they guaranteed the money pretty much or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're not talking off cycles or anything like that. Just okay. do on receipt, uh, maybe net 30 for large enterprises. So but you've got to look firstly at the percentage or the rate of interest that you're paying on that debt. So mm. If it's low, let's say it's like two or 3% interest rate, then I would take as much debt as I could get because I can then yeah. use that money and grow my business because my machine is working. I know yeah. if I put $1 in, it's going to produce $3 out, right? Right, right, right. If you are that certain of you've got the machine created that's going to produce that ROI, keep feeding it. Yeah. But if you're not... That's where the risk comes in, right? Because right. now you're taking money from a bank or a loan or whatever. And if you, you've got to iron out the kinks of the machine and keep it constantly oiled so it's yeah. always producing. I think that's the real answer is how confident yeah. are you in your 
YouTube ads or whatever mechanism you've got for lead generation to conversions, how much does it cost? What's the time frame? Because if you know it takes one week to get a client or like us, it doesn't take a week. It can take a month or a year to get a client. It's a yeah. very different amount of spend, borrowing and percentages you'd be willing to take. But let's right. assume that the machine is well oiled. I would take as much low debt as possible with long terms yeah. to back myself and my business to grow. Right, right, right. Let's say that you, like I'll use our own company as an example, right? We're around like $150,000 per month in sales. We've been plateaued around there for the last like 12 months as we've transitioned to SaaS because we kind of like took a management exit, built the new website, built the app, got all these users on it. It's been growing a bunch. More of our revenue is becoming SaaS versus the agency and it's sort of blending. And now this is the breakthrough point for us where we're going to go from like 150 to above that. But just out of curiosity, like we don't have any long-term debt in the sense that we have never taken like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar loan. Any debt that we have, we could easily pay off is short term typically, and it will just be paid off immediately if we need to. So at the rate that a company like ours is growing, I speak for a lot of the people who listen to the show, would you advise then to then, like you said, take on like an SBA loan or something of that nature? Maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's four hundred thousand uh, dollars. and then you have a long payback period, 10 years example on that on that loan, as opposed to maybe getting angel investing or, you know, just continuing to try to produce higher revenues with your own cash flows. I mean, is that the move when you, once you've crossed like 1 million, $2 million in revenue, you want to pivot towards that? Yeah. Even before that, you know, firstly, no two situations are ever the same, but let's just use the example that you said, when you hit the plateau and you've got the system working and it's working well, it's, yeah. it's that point that you you move to the next level. So think of it as like a scale system. And the team that's got you from where you were at inception or where we both were at inception to where we are now yeah. has to improve every step of the way, right? Because the team that's got you got us where we are isn't the team that's going to get us where we want to be in the future. Right. Right. So it's really important to always think differently and evolve and kind of grow. And this is the next form of growth. And so many people are uncomfortable with that because they don't like debt, they don't like owing people money, they've yeah. got like the go, go, go mentality mindset, right. which is great. But to evolve and kind of take the business to the next level, it would grow a lot quicker if let's just say you got a line of credit for 100k that's not costing you anything unless you use it. Yeah. And then you could pull against it when needed to feed the machine that's well oiled and working. I would say yeah. get the system working and well oiled on your own dime. Yeah. Once it is, then start pump, pumping money into it. When it comes to, let's say it's a $2 million per year business, what percentage should they probably take on as financing if they want to grow faster than 50% a year? They want to pursue a growth strategy, right? Let's assume they're in this for the long run. They want to pursue a growth strategy. They have very minimal debt long-term of anything at the current moment. What, with the company, like I know it's not always the same, but like let's just use theoretical argument. Like, What do you think would be a good amount of money to take on if the terms are right, if the interest rate's right and things like that. Like what's, what's, a, what's a good maybe to let's say grow 100% for the next two years? Like what's a, what's a good amount? So let's compare it to a mortgage, right? I buy a lot of businesses and when I'm buying a business, they'll give me 80, 20. So if I'm buying it for a million bucks, I put down 200K and they'll leverage me 80% of it. 
Now, I know that the cash flow from that business is going to pay the debt note and then me some profit on top of everything, right? Yeah. So it's kind of using the same analogy, but in your business. It's like if you take a loan of a million bucks, let's say, or a hundred thousand bucks, and you're putting down 20 grand to do it or whatever equity they want, they're going to take a lien against something, right? Let's say that's done. Now, for every dollar that you borrow, what's the ROI on it? Because if, right. if it's not positive, if it's not able to pay the interest rate, give you a buffer and give you a return, it's not a good investment, right? So right. as a percentage, it's difficult. I would say if the machine's well-oiled and think all the terms are good, as much as possible. If you're not confident in that, then start lower and work your way up because you could get a line for 100K. It doesn't mean you have to use it all. Yeah. It's not about, oh, this is cheap money. I need to use it all. No, you don't necessarily have to do that. You could keep yeah. some of it in reserve or test three different things to see what hits. But right. I would rather, personally, I would rather do that testing on my own dime than on borrowing yeah. money. Yeah, that's kind of the position we're in right now because obviously we have a SaaS company now and we've pivoted sort of everything to do that. And we have a like we have the metrics down to grow and scale. And luckily we're in a position where we could get even SBA financing. There's even some options that are available like R&D credits we're applying for because um, those are potentially available to us too. So it's like once you hit that certain point in years and, and, and proof that you know how to generate revenue, you, get, you can do some sort of like, um, like a mixed bag of capital financing, right? You could do like angel investors, financing from SBA, financing from credit cards, all this stuff. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. I did hear you said you buy businesses. What kind of businesses do you buy? So I'm currently in self-storage and looking at car washes as, as the next one. But yeah. self-storage is kind of my passive income. So I'll make money yeah. from Together CFO and then I'm a car collector. So I collect cars, but I invest in cars that appreciate in value and watches. But I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. But businesses is really what's what produces passive income. So yeah. self-storage is just my personal preference because it's absentee owner, which means it doesn't take much of my time to run it. And right. it's all remote, so it can be anywhere in the country. And I know that it's recession-proof, so I've done my homework. I know the metrics. I know what I look for. And it ticks all the boxes for me because I can't spread my time everywhere, right? I've got to focus on yeah. the main business, which is bringing in the money, which is together CFO. And then what am I doing with that excess cash flow? I'm deploying it to make me more money. One, in yeah. appreciating assets and two, in passive cash flow. So it's a mixture yeah. of that. Very interesting. And um, you started, the, when did you start the business actually officially? Well, when was that? 2016 full-time. Fantastic. And then you own the business. You don't have any other business partners or is it just no. you? Just me. That's fantastic, man. That's a, a great story. I mean, it's been six years, fantastic growth. And then again, like, I don't even know the numbers exactly, but again, what was that growth rate like? Like, so year one, year two, year three, could you give us like a, a path? Because the title shows how to scale, right? So like, yeah, people want to so, know, like, how does that look like? So, so it started at zero, right? So I was working at a big corporate company called FlowServe, doing their finances. It's a big $4 billion company. I'd spent eight years with them. Uh, four in Europe, and then they transferred me over to America. So great time with them. But once I got my green card, it was really all about building something for myself. So right. at that point, I'd already lined up a couple of clients. So I wasn't going from a good corporate salary to zero. 
It was, yeah. okay, like for like. So I was making a couple hundred K right off the bat in year one, just with these handful of clients. Right. And then by the end of year two, we'd pivoted into trust structures. So year yeah. two onwards, it was seven figures and then multiple seven figures. And hopefully next year we'll be at eight figures. That's really cool. And I think this is, this is probably uh, something you, you went through, I'm assuming. So for me, this was my personal story. And I'm wondering if it's similar at all for you. I got the business to the number I always talk about online. We hit like $195,000 a month, basically 200,000. And then I took a management exit. Uh, Cause I was like, honestly, I love this agency stuff, but I want to focus on something like software development. That's my path. I, want, I, I love that. Like I, I want to do that. So I spent the last 18 months doing that and building that process. And the business still does well and it like produces revenue, but it's not like um, what I spend most of my time on. And a lot has changed in my life because I've been able to basically have the freedom to just kind of do whatever I want uh, and don't have to work on any strict schedule. I can be a lot more creative. So when was that point for you? Was it when you crossed a million dollars in revenue? Was it When was that where you really felt like you had full creative uh, freedom to pretty much pursue anything you wanted in your business? Ah, oh, that's a great question. I don't feel like that. It's uh, <laughs> it's weird for me because yeah, you're you're very creative anyway. You always have been, like you know, with music and everything. You've just got that right brain, left brain kind of thing <laughs> going on. But with me, my background is like think of a boring finance guy in a box, right? We're doing <laughs> month end close. We're doing reconciliations. We're doing yeah. all this like statistical analysis, and it's all very numbers driven. My real skill set came from taking complex numbers and explaining it into something really simple and tangible to non-finance right. people. That's right. really what I was very good at. And I knew that very early on because I had to communicate with engineers that were older than my dad. And they're like, yeah. not taking me seriously. And I had to develop that skill and rapport and communication in a way that they would understand it, which is very yeah. different from most finance people that are like, hey, the number says 20, we should do what the number says. And so interpretation and, and that's why really it led me into CFO work because that's more strategy and people based than it is just number crunching. And that's, that's fine. You still need the number crunching, but it's the execution of the strategy that, that I was better at. But the freedom kind of came when I had enough passive cash flow to not have to worry about day-to-day -day operations. Yeah. And that really happened at the end or mid-year two when we switched to the tax structure stuff rather than the CFO stuff because we were making good retainers with CFO clients, but yeah. they could cancel at any time and there was no guarantee of ongoing value. So we talked earlier about adding more value and as long as you right. keep adding value, you'll retain the client. It was on a knife edge at times because we were working with smaller companies and startups and wearing multiple hats. We weren't just doing CFO stuff. We were doing everything. And it's yeah. like, it was very scattered, but when we yeah. niched in to trust structures and tax strategy and planning, we knew we yeah. were creating an annual plan and a multi-generational plan. So we had right. value forever indefinitely. We can tangibly show, Hey, you're going to save 500 K this year in taxes. And then just like the feeling that you had is like, oh, we were really relieved. We didn't have to pay money back and we <laughs> saved money. And that's because of KC and Together CFO. We love them. They're not going yeah. anywhere. So we're cementing deeper relationships by showing the value 
on an annual basis. And I think that was really when I was able to relax more, not so much do right. more of what I want, but just kind of not be so tense in the business because mm. I was so confident that we're not going to lose any clients. Yeah, that's a great feeling. And that, that's the same stuff for us in SEO because lead gen is like that cash flow thing where we get people results, but it's like sometimes it's it's monthly. So sometimes if people want to switch directions, they can do that. SEO is like super long term. They stay forever because we're managing their website. And if they're getting traffic, if they leave, they may not know how to manage their website effectively, right? So it's a huge difference. So I have one last question for you and then we'll give you an opportunity to share the business and everything. Um, and I'll actually uh, share my screen because I have your website pulled up here for everybody listening and not watching it on YouTube. Together CFO, uh, spelled exactly like it sounds, .com is where you can go. Uh, he's been featured on a lot of really cool stuff. And I've, again, I've known Casey for a while now. Uh, we're gonna do our own podcast with him pretty soon here. I'm gonna go visit his studio. So I'm super excited for that. But why Casey is my last question for you. Now that you've gone to the multiple millions in revenue mark, and that is sort of the point where you're no longer able to just get by with like really good sales strategies, in my opinion, you're not really able to just get by with really good sales strategies or like an above average product. I don't know exactly where you fall on this because I haven't actually used the product, but I, I'm assuming it's very good. But the problem is once you get from like four to like 10, like you're saying you're going to, your position to become like the market leader in a niche because now there's increasing competition. For example, if I was in your space and I was doing what you're doing, I'd be competing with you and both of us have scaled up businesses now. So the competition is more fierce because both people are really good at running businesses now. So it's like very difficult to get to that next level. So why do you think that your product is the best product for this particular niche that you're in? And how are you planning to become a market leader in your niche so you can actually get past $10 million peer in sales. Got it. Okay. So why we are the best is we do it very differently. So it goes back to kind of trying to position yourself to be one of one in your industry. So yeah. when we look at our competitors or people that do something similar to us, they do one section of what we do. So they might create trust documents, let's just say. They don't provide a dedicated client success manager. They don't yeah. do the administration. They don't do the bookkeeping and the tax filing and the tax strategy. So we've got a full 360 on our client experience compared to if you went right. to one of our competitors, you're going to pay less guaranteed uh, unless you go to like one of the bigger competitors like UBS or like BNY Mellon where you're going to pay 5 million, right. 500K, right? But let's assume that you're not going to be spending 5 million a year on a finance team and then it's yeah. going to be closer to a couple of hundred K but you could get, it's like, I, I compare it to cars. You can have a Toyota Prius or you can have a Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. And they're both going to get you from A to B. They're just going to do it very differently. The experience right. you have is full bells and whistles with your star headliner and your heads up display and your Rolls Royce. And I've got hot and cold seats and massage and all of that in mind as well, right? Yeah. Compared to the Prius, which is going to get you there, but it's going to be, cold or really hot or it's just <laughs> it's not going to be the same feeling right so yeah. the experience that we provide our clients is the rolls royce experience the amex mm. black card experience whatever like the four seasons hotel experience right. it's we're on one side of the spectrum compared to our competitors which just do fragments of what we do 
So that puts mm. us in a really unique position of being one-to-one, -one, which makes it very difficult for someone to compare our pricing strategy compared to UBS or right. the guys that charge $5 million a year. We can't compare ourselves to them because we don't have hundreds of people. We've got 31 people, but yeah. we've got a team of people that know exactly how to treat our clients compared to our competitors further down the road that are just mom and pop shop trying to get by and not yeah. offering a great service at all. So, so for I everybody, mean. for everybody listening, um, if, if you want to, if you want to figure out why Casey and together CFO is the, the best in their industry, uh, it's because they're, like you said, providing the, the luxury experience, your competitive differentiator and your product experience that will get people to share your business, which I talk about a lot on the show is how can you create increased virality? is the fact that you have the, you know, the, the, the Mercedes S class. So like luxury car, um, and you're basically getting people to share it because the product superior, because it is the best. And that's your, your premium advantage. You have the best, uh, uh, fully holistic experience for your clients, which it sounds like is what's going to allow you to grow. And it's also that we're not competing on price, right? Because how often do you see Louis Vuitton on sale? No, or Chanel yeah. on sale, you don't see it, right? When I'm buying my wife a Gucci bag or a Chanel bag, it's never on sale. It's always full price because premium products or services demand a yeah. certain level. And you need yeah. to value yourself accordingly as well. So as an example, the way we calculate our fees is 20% of whatever we save the client. Mm -hmm. So if you're not happy giving away 20% of the money, of what was actually saved compared to paying Uncle Sam 100%, then there's yeah. something that you're just not a good client fit at that point. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's the way your model works. It's a very fascinating model. And um, you know, I think uh, I always use the phrase more for less uh, and I flip it on its head, right? So instead of more for less, meaning you're gonna get more for less money, I try to think, can I give more to less people and have those people pay more for a better experience, but they're getting more. Right. And that's how you can niche down because people who are exactly in your demographic for us, it's like agencies doing $60,000 per year, maybe a little bit more looking to grow even faster. Like if you could do more for them to less people and charge more, that's how you stand out and be a category of one. Right. Typically. So thank you so much, man. I appreciate being on the show. And for everybody listening, uh, Casey's been able to do some fantastic stuff. We started around the same time. Uh, he was able to grow from 2016 to 2022. He's taking companies uh, like that one medical device company we talked about earlier from $5 million a year to $10 million a month, uh, saving them $20 million, um, or I think it was 16, maybe 20 million, 16, significant amount of money. He had a lot, there was a lot of profit. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they, they saved him a lot of money, let's just put it like that. And he's been able to grow his own business to uh, millions of dollars in revenue. We're excited to see him grow to uh, 10 million plus here pretty soon. Thank you, Casey, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. That one last question, which is where can people find you? Just go to Together CFO or just email you or what's the yeah, best way? So, uh, TogetherCFO.com. We've got a free tax calculator on the website. It's just being built out right now. So you can plug in your own numbers and you can see quite quickly if uh, there's a huge tax saving there or not. So if you refresh that screen, it should, there you go. That's the one. So yeah. you can put in your numbers on capital gains or annual tax savings or both. And then it'll yeah. spit out a calculation to show you how much money that you could save on your taxes. Really interesting. For anybody listening, go to togethercfo.com and then click tax savings calculator in the top right corner. And you can go through this yourself or click calculate your tax savings as the header image. Thank you again so much, uh, Casey, for being on the show. Really appreciate it.